Welcome to the reading of Dr. Richard Gans's book, Psychobabble, The Failure of Modern Psychology and the Biblical Alternative. Copyright 1993 by Richard Gans. This book is read and distributed with the author's permission. This MP3 audio file is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books, which offers a large selection of free and discounted classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed resources on the web at swrb.com. We continue our reading on page 73. Chapter 6. Caring to Confront. The key to biblical change is often confrontation, yet many Christian counselors are ambivalent about its use. They depict the nuthetic or biblical counselor as an unfeeling, uncaring, insensitive Bible-thumper who uses a lead-plated Bible on the skulls of impenitent sinners. Neuthetic counseling is confrontational, but it is not insensitive and uncaring. How does neuthetic counseling work? How does it differ from a secular approach? The following example of a secular technique may be helpful. Jane walked into my office in the medical center in obvious distress. Dr. Gans, she wept, I don't know what to do. What follows is a verbatim recording of the next few moments of that psychotherapy session. R.G. Tell me about it. Jane, I'm pregnant. R.G. Oh? Jane, yes, I just found out. R.G. Mm-hmm. Jane, I can't stand it. I feel like I'm going crazy, R.G. You're feeling very upset, Jane. I guess I have no choice but to get an abortion. R.G., tell me about that. Jane, what else can I do? I have to finish school. I have no other choice. R.G., Nothing positive to say. I was not a Christian at that time. To know that I was in a position to offer direction, advice, truth, and had nothing for her but inane rejoinder still hurts. That kind of stupidity is licensed by the American and Canadian Psychological and Psychiatric Association. No real Christian pastor or counselor should ever counsel as I did. But Christians, of all stripes, endorse the thinking and mindset that make such drivel acceptable. Since then, I've had numerous opportunities to counsel women in crisis pregnancies. Let's look at another example so that we can see what biblical counseling offers to the persons in this genuine crisis. Sally, Dr. Gans, Fred and I never meant for anything like this to happen, but I'm pregnant. R.G., have you discussed what you're going to do about it? Sally, of course. This hasn't been easy, but we know we're not ready for a family, so the only thing we can think of doing is to have an abortion. R.G., both of you consider yourselves Christians, don't you? Sally, yes, of course. 
but we don't see what that has to do with it. R.G., wouldn't it be important to know what God has to say about this? Sally, of course, but certainly God knows how we feel and can understand that we have no choice. R.G., it is absolutely correct that God knows you see this as impossible, but God also knows that it isn't impossible. What's important is what God says about this. Does God approve of abortion? Even in such difficult straits as you seem to think you are in? God says you shall not murder. Sally, that is a child in your womb, a growing child. If you have this child aborted, that is murder. And that's what you will be responsible for, for the rest of your life. Sally, but we don't have a job or the right place to live. There's so many things. R.G., we'll work together with your congregation. I'm sure they'll want to help you find work and a good place to live. Sally, oh, I could never tell them. They would judge me and treat me like a prostitute. R.G., Sally, you and Fred have to show them that you know what you did was wrong and that you've asked God's forgiveness. God's people know that they are no more perfect than you are, even if they haven't committed the same sin. Furthermore, your struggles are not just yours. God says in his word that no temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also provide the way of escape, that you may be able to endure it. 1 Corinthians 10.13 That's right, Sally. Nothing has happened to you except what is common to man. You are not alone. Fred and Sally kept their child. In the process, they came to a deeper walk with God and with God's people. What is even more important for our purposes, however, is the contrast. Here, as a counselor, I had a standard by which to operate. Here, as a counselor, I offered words of rebuke, words of encouragement, a plan to help them deal with the difficult situation in which they found themselves. What about that first situation? Whether she would deliver or would kill her baby was virtually irrelevant to the counseling situation. Even though I had received individual training from some of the world's finest psychotherapists, there was absolutely nothing I could offer. That statement is not totally accurate. I did offer reinforcement of the view she already held, that as master of her fate and captain of her soul, she could discover the truth within herself. There is no neutrality. We worship the Creator, or we worship ourselves and other creatures. When we confront the way Jesus did, we admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, and help the weak, and are patient with all men. 1 Thessalonians 5.14 Even our patience has an end in the exercise of discipline, for we are to discipline the unrepentant, and have nothing to do with the divisive person after a second warning. Titus 3.10 
Certainly this approach following biblical guidelines cuts deep, but it does not mean we lack care, concern, warmth, understanding, or patience. Opponents of nuthetic counseling have many objections. It's far too threatening to use early in the helping relationship. It can make the final healing even more difficult to achieve. It is the fertilizer of fear. It is deficient in love. They argue that the nuthetic idea of confrontation is unbiblical. But nuthetic counseling is only unbiblical if sin does not exist. According to J. Adams, author of Competent to Counsel, nuthetic counseling confrontation suggests that there is something wrong with the person who is to be confronted nuthetically. The idea of something wrong, some sin, some obstruction, some problem, some difficulty, some need that has to be acknowledged and dealt with is central. Nuthetic counseling arises out of a condition in the counselee that God wants changed. The fundamental purpose of nuthetic counseling, then, is to effect personality and behavioral change, emphasis his. Adams did not say that the goal of nuthetic counseling was simply to change behavior. The concern of nuthetic counseling is to see personality and behavior change. It is all-encompassing. This change often comes about through confrontation. But confrontation of sin does not have to be ignorant, ill-timed, adverse, or fear-provoking. Confrontation can be gentle. The model is Christ. A battered reed he will not break off, and a smoldering wick he will not put out. Matthew 12:20. Let's look at some examples of Christ's counseling euthetically. When confrontation was demanded, Jesus used it forcefully and with immediacy. He used a different approach with the Pharisees than the one he employed with the woman at the well. Both times, however, he used strong and pointed confrontation. With the Pharisees, his confrontational approach often involved condemnation. They deserved it, and they got it from him. He didn't say to himself, Am I being empathetic enough? Jesus' approach with the woman at the well would also have to be considered abrupt and harsh. Listen to it. You have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your own. John 4.18 If anything can be perceived as an attack, this is it. Let me make three observations. First, the teaching of Jesus is dramatically confrontational. Secondly, some counselors assume that people would not want to be confronted in this dramatic fashion. But should that prevent us from confronting? Should the counselors of the church pamper sin? Third, I am appreciative when people confront me. Although we might prefer to feel good rather than to be faced with the deep sin in our lives, there is more to life than feeling good especially when we are in sin. Gary Sweeten, an opponent of nuthetic counseling, wrote, It is grace that leads to change, 
repentance. But the woman at the well changed, repented, because she was confronted with the holiness of God and his just demands. The people of God, in fact, need more confrontation than we ever dreamed. Sweden suggests that even deep, sinful habit patterns shouldn't be immediately confronted. For instance, he wrote, The homosexual lifestyle is a result of bondage, rebellion, guilt, and shame, usually beginning in the womb, with strong reinforcement in early childhood. Such traumas and the resulting roots of bitterness must be healed if the release from the homosexual neurosis is to be found. Simply cutting off the fruit by stopping the sexual behavior is not enough. In fact, such a remedy will lead to strengthened roots and more destructive fruits. If such pruning is used too early in the helping relationship, i.e., a call for repentance from obvious fruits of the flesh. Stronger fruits will result even if the outward fruits do disappear from the seeker's life. Does he mean to say that fruit worse than homosexual sin will develop if the command to repent comes too early? Paul says that God commands all people everywhere to repent. Acts 17.30 That means us. That means now. That means even if we have never heard another word and never will. Leviticus 20.13 speaks of the homosexual practice as an abomination demanding death. Is their fruit more destructive than this? Sweeten calls homosexuality a neurosis. The Bible nowhere views homosexuality as a neurosis. It is sin. A neuthetic counselor will never let a man continue in his sin. He will warn that the way of the transgressor is hard. Proverbs 13.15 King James Version He will, after the behavior ends, continue to work on all of the problems that surround this behavior. Homosexuality is, of course, a life-dominating problem. However, counseling ends if the person refuses to repent and change his ways. Jesus departed from those people who refused to obey him. He didn't hang around developing a warm, gushy relationship. Instead, he warned that the wrath of God was upon them. Hard words. Necessary words, though, because sin kills. Sweeten thinks these things are caused by pre-birth and early childhood trauma. Does he forget that Jesus, with an immediacy that startles even the neuthetic counselor, demands immediate repentance? Go and sin no more. That's it. Final. That's the way it has to be. Some Christian counselors and pastors are uncomfortable with confrontation because they are uncomfortable with the concept of sin. They want to soften it. Instead of sin, we are taught that conflicts exist because people have never been taught to communicate adequately. The remedy is said to be conflict management. Regardless of the conflicts or faulty communication, the basic problem with hurting Christians is their sin. 
not their hurting. The shift from sin, law-breaking, to hurting, the consequences of sin, is subtle and dangerous. In this scheme, Christians focus not on their sin, but on their pain. Thus, they are tempted to work on problems and seek change, not because they have done wrong, but because it feels so bad. Sooner or later, the individual drifts so far away from law as a standard that the things causing pain bear no resemblance to transgressions against the law of God. Then you have defined a hurting, not a lawless society. The Bible teaches the necessity of change. It also teaches the possibility of change. The Bible urges believers to replace their sinful behavior with righteousness. Let him who steals steal no longer, but rather let him labor, performing with his own hands what is good, in order that he may have something to share with him who has need. Ephesians 4.28 Rationalization and blame shifting have no place in the life of a believer. Sin can't be blamed on someone else. We take responsibility for it, repent of it, and bring forth fruit in keeping with repentance. Luke chapter 3 verses 8 to 14. The Bible, when it deals with sin, doesn't call us to be healed, but to repent. The new psychological elite and their mass of discontented churchgoers find this call to repentance totally unacceptable. All that was sufficient for godliness and joy for 2,000 years is suddenly deficient. We have a problem. We have little gratitude for the great salvation we have received in Christ and the all-sufficiency of His Word. I trust that by now my reader is, if not convinced of the folly of secular psychology, at the very least prepared to entertain some thoughts on the biblical alternative to problem-solving and counseling. Specifically, we will direct our attention to the healing power in the Church.